Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, good news and bad news about who's leaving the government and why. And the technology holdups for a growth explosion at the IRS. It's Tuesday, August 9th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Small Business Administration has a new technology leader. Stephen Kucharski the acting chief information officer at SBA now. Luis Campiodoni will go back to his full-time role of deputy chief information officer. kucharski has been at SBA for 23 years in a variety of jobs. The Internal Revenue Service will get as much as $4 billion for IT upgrades in the Inflation Reduction Act the Senate just passed. The agency could hire up to 80,000 people in the next 10 years, too. More on that later in the program. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Tech and Newberger and the Director of DISA, Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, are two of the headliners for Defense Talks. It's coming September 15th at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can see the rest of the lineup of stars and register through the link in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. There's good news and bad news about who's leaving the federal government and why, according to the Partnership for Public Service. New research shows the rate of people leaving the federal government's holding steady. Jeff Neal's a member of the board of Higher Road. He's former chief human capital officer at the Department of Homeland Security. Jeff, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program again. The attrition rate government-wide in fiscal 2021 holding about flat. Um, 6.1%, a little bit higher than fiscal 20, but similar to 2019 in the pre-pandemic, the number, uh, numbers the years before. What do you read in either the top line number or in what we see underneath the way that people are leaving? Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me, Francis. I think when we look at these numbers, uh, they're not terribly surprising, uh, but they're, they're like many other things where if you just look at the surface, you see a picture of something. And then when you look beneath the surface, you see a totally different picture. You know, for example, you know, 5%, 6% attrition is not horrible at all. Um, if you're looking at hiring young people, uh, the attrition is higher. It's significantly higher for young people in the workforce. Uh, and we know that the federal government has a, a problem. It's one of the things you and I have discussed multiple times before, the, the, the problem with hiring and retaining young people in government. Um, we're still having trouble hiring and retaining young people in government, and these numbers show us that. Uh, they show us that if you look at the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, the turnover in medical professionals is is significantly higher than the turnover in the rest of the workforce. and so. You know, when that turnover is higher than in the rest of the workforce, that means that they not only have to do a lot more recruiting, they have to do more to try to retain the people they have. And it, it makes problems in staffing medical facilities uh, worse, uh, not better. So you really have to look at what department, uh, what agency, what type of, of work uh, you know, the, the attrition is in, uh, and then the age. You know, if, what you would expect is that younger people turn over in the jobs a bit more, and that's to be expected. People are earlier in their career; they don't, you know, they don't, uh, they don't start out knowing exactly what they want to do and where they want to do it, and so you tend to see more turnover in younger people. You get into mid-career, and then people tend to settle down. 
you know, the, the 40 and 50 somethings, um, you know, they're right in the middle of their career. They, they tend to not turn over quite as much. And so that's to be expected. And then it's, as you get into your mid fifties and later, and then attrition starts ticking up quite a bit because, uh, older people retire. And so, so you really have to try to figure out how you're going to staff an organization and plan based on what kind of turnover you're seeing. And then you have the added complication with the young people that, you know, if I, if somebody hires, if somebody's trying to, to, to make their agency look like America and they hire somebody who's Hispanic, two years from now, that person's still going to be Hispanic. If they go out and they hire, they want to have young people in the workforce and they hire somebody who's under 30, we'll say they're 28, two years from now, they're not going to be under 30 anymore. So if you want to have young people in your workforce, you have to constantly be out recruiting and trying to, to find those young people and hold on to them, knowing that they're going to age out of that demo fairly quickly, and you're going to have to keep on doing that. And the government's done a really really poor job of that in the last 10 or 15 years. Regarding the age point that you just made, here's a good news, bad news piece, as I alluded to at the beginning of the conversation. This is from the partnerships work. The attrition rate in fiscal 2021 was 5.0 for both the cyber and STEM workforce, a figure lower than the government-wide average of 6.1%. Age may factor into this low attrition rate, while the cyber talent in the general workforce skews younger, most of the cyber talent in government is over 40 years old. This age group has low attrition rates across different demographic groups. So that's not, that sounds to me like the good news is those folks aren't leaving. The bad news is it's not really necessarily indicative of something unique or special that the government has done about cyber and STEM. It's more a function of where those people are in their lives than what career lines they're in. Um, it, it's funny because it's, it's, it's actually probably a good news, bad news, worse news <laughs> scenario. Right. Yeah. The good news is, is, um, you know, the, those mid-career people are 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 uh, staying around, and we expect that. The bad news is that th there are higher turnover numbers in the younger people. The worst news is that a massive percentage of the federal cyber workforce is over 40. And so in an occupation where things are changing incredibly rapidly, and where the threats are increasing every day and the potential of, of cyber attacks being, you know, the, the way modern warfare is conducted is, is obviously huge. And the federal government sitting here with a bunch of middle-aged and old cyber folks. And you know, one of the things you find in an occupation is that, that many people in an occupation will, um, will learn a lot as they're getting into their career. And then they kind of stagnate sometimes. And you'll find that people sometimes just kind of stop learning and just start doing work. It concerns me that so many of the cyber professionals in the federal government are skewing so far to the 
to the older demographic. I think that's that's a real problem. Uh, it also means that turnover is likely to get worse because when you've got so many people who are over 40, they're going to age out of that sweet spot in the demographics where they stay put and start aging into the time to retire demographic. And that time to retire demographic is a, um, is a very risky demographic to have because that demographic is very susceptible to being poached. You know, if I've got an if I'm in an occupation that's in, in demand and cyber occupations are in huge demand and the demand is growing and the labor market, the labor supply for those occupations is nowhere near what the demand is. So let's say I'm 55 years old and I can retire and I'm in an occupation that's in huge demand. I can walk out of the federal government and make significantly more money and get my retirement. I'm likely to do that. So the fact that we've got all these people in this 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 40 plus cohort tells me that over the next few years, the government's cyber workforce issues are likely to get worse, not better. All right. Um, to the age point that you made again, uh, the second largest age bracket in government is 40 to 49, had the lowest attrition rate in fiscal 2021, 2.8 percent. 8.5% was the attrition rate for employees under 30. And the partnership writes that's significantly higher than the government-wide average of 6.1%. Is it really significantly higher? 8.5 doesn't sound that bad to me, especially when we've gone on and on as we have, and rightfully so, about how difficult it is to attract and retain people in that age cohort. Um, it is significant. I mean, when you look at six versus eight eight is you know is a third higher than six so it's it's a significant difference um it's not a surprising difference you know when you look at turnover figures in in organizations the highest turnover is usually in the first two years of employment uh, and it's not uncommon to see turnover numbers attrition numbers approaching 20 percent in organizations in the first two years of employment so that's not surprising. Um, the, the concern I have about it is that the government has this, this, this age bomb that's sitting there. And it, 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 the, the people who are, who are aging into the retirement demographic, are, are, they can leave anytime they want. And so anything that, that upsets that part of the workforce can make it likely that an agency would see a big spike in turnover and not always planned turnover. You know, we've all had the, the experiences of people who retired by putting a note on their desk that says, you know, you'll notice I've retired. Um, so I think that's a concern. Uh, and I think that the, the, the age issue and the, the hiring of younger people issue is, is a problem. Uh, and it's 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 a systemic problem that's that's actually kind of designed into the system because of how federal hiring works. You know, if you look at what's happened over the last dozen years or so, is that um, the effect of veteran preference on federal hiring has gone up tremendously, um, really tremendously. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, but you know, you get these young guys getting out of service and and, you know, so it's a really good thing to do to hire these folks. That's not what's happening. You know, the, 
the um, the 21 year old infantry soldier who gets out isn't necessarily going to work for the federal government. The the the, the age of these uh, veterans who are being hired is like mid 30s. So you know you, we're not getting the people who who really need a leg up. We're getting the people who are you know, mid career already. And it's just really not helping on the issue of hiring young people. And, you know, I, I have nothing against old people in the workforce. I mean, I'm an old, I'm an old person. Um, but organization, healthy organizations have a, a good mix of employees. And you have the young people who come in and, and say, why do you do this this way? And keep challenging you. And as you know, uh, having a young person of your own, they they do tend to to wonder why things are the way they are, yes, and, and constantly question. Definitely, and um, and that's missing in the federal workforce, and and we're not getting better at it. All right, um, we're almost out of time, but what do we do about that? It's an unfair question to ask when we're almost out of time. I know, Jeff. Uh, I think what we do about it is we uh, make some changes to how the federal government does its hiring. Um, and I think over the next month, you'll see some ideas coming out that um, I'd be happy to come back and talk with you some more about in a month or so um, that would would really significantly reform how the federal government does its hiring without totally revamping the civil service. And I think we've come up with some ideas that would uh, that would make some really significant improvements in how a lot of these things work, um, but without trying to do comprehensive civil service reform, which I think is just not doable in today's political environment. So I think there are some things that can be done. Uh, some of them, unfortunately, will require Congress to act, and Congress acting in same sentence sometimes is... is but but you know, we have seen recently that there have been some bipartisan... Uh, actions taken in Congress. So the Congress is not totally unable to act. And I, I do think there are some, some people in the House and the Senate who have a significant interest in civil service issues and, and are willing to work across the aisle to try to make some improvements. And so I think we could see something. Jeff Neal, I'll look forward to that conversation very much. Thanks for joining me today. Happy to be here. You can read more about the attrition rate in government in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast. The 2022 edition of Fed Talks is less than three weeks away now. The federal CIO, Claire Martirana, and the DOD CIO, John Sherman, are just two of the high-level leaders in government, industry, and academia that you'll see there August 24th. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can find a link to learn more and register in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Internal Revenue Service could hire as many as 87,000 employees in the next decade if the Inflation Reduction Act becomes law. The National Taxpayer Advocate says, though, the agency isn't equipped to hire the quantity of people it needs. Michelle Singer is Chief Executive Officer of Mindful Advance. She's former director of the Interior Business Center. Michelle, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. So many potential challenges for an agency that grows at the pace at which the IRS could grow if this happens. What are the biggest change management issues that you see here that an agency needs to think about? Welcome. 
Thanks for having me, Francis. Uh, this is a great opportunity for agencies overall. The challenges uh, are numerous, and if they're identified early, I think they can be addressed. The first is being honest about the current metrics on time to hire so that realistic targets are set and changes are made up front. Currently, the, the systems used to recruit uh, higher train, retain, and track employees, the human capital management systems throughout the federal government are from the 1980s and the 1990s. And without modernizing those systems, it's going to be impossible to hire and, and meet these targets. So there's your first step. Getting, getting this volume on board is going to take more modern systems. It's also going to take centralized hiring, perhaps even um, greater partnering with industry in the private sector, turning to shared services in uh, a number of ways and not believing that that what got you here is going to get you where you want to go next. And that's just getting the folks on board. Um, All right. You hit the magic term that I want. Two words, shared services. What does shared services look like from a hiring perspective? How do you turn that into a shared service? And is that something that maybe should live at OPM instead of, in the case of the Internal Revenue Service, at the IRS? Um, Shared services looks like um, handing over this fund of the recruitment and what sometimes is referred to as the backroom operations of uh, hiring, HR, payroll, financial management, that kind of backroom operations to a centralized organization that does only that. And that frees up the agency employees for mission-focused work. And it should reside where it is stable, managed well, has the opportunity to grow and can deliver services across the federal government. Wherever that is, whether it be OPM in the current providers at GSA um, or at the home agency or partnering with private sector, there may need to be a combination to hire at this volume, uh, but it needs to be where, like I said, it can be stable and supported over the next decade and on. And it seems to me too, one of the challenges here is scalability. Um, The IRS is not necessarily going to need to have the capacity in its hiring shop for this forever. And, you know, one of the reports that I saw said that if this bill passes, IRS would only hire, I shouldn't say only, but they would be bringing in about 5,000 people the first year, and then it would scale up through the course of this decade that this legislation covers. And so I wonder how you build capacity that's almost like we talk about for cloud computing, where you use it when you need it, and then when you don't need it, you're not still paying for it. That's a great question. And that's where I firmly believe partnering with the private sector um, is key. You contract for additional help. It can balloon when you need it. You can reduce volume when you don't. Managed by a good-sized cadre of uh, career, talented, experienced professionals um, and and pulling in additional help when needed. That's why... I. I mentioned earlier the the human capital management systems, why it feels essential at this point to start right away modernizing um, those systems because the private sector now has offerings that can um, add 
can grow, can shrink, can move as needed um, as you add employees uh, for a, a much quicker and turnaround um, and, and allow you to plan uh, without having to bring on a huge volume of federal employees to first train to be able to hire the mission-driven uh, uh, specific employees you need. When you mentioned time to hire earlier, and it strikes me that that structure that you just outlined helps you cut at least one, maybe a couple of steps in that time to hire and, and cut weeks or maybe months out of that process, given where we are right now in the government. I think it should. Um, and I think we have to be really honest overall and look at the metrics. The time to hire targets are routinely not met government wide. And we just need to be honest about that. It's not lack of, of talented employees trying their best. It's simply an older way of of doing business, of moving through the process. And we need to have better practices that are more scalable in order to meet these targets. All right, let's pretend the glass is half full here and the IRS gets the money that they need, they get the authority to hire these folks and they have the ability to bring them in over time. It strikes me that there's a two-sided coin here regarding the culture of the agency. There's a challenge to onboard these people and get them ingrained in the culture of the Internal Revenue Service, but there's also an opportunity if the commissioner and the leadership of the agency, Charles Reddick's already said that they're not going to waste time. They're going to start building the infrastructure now in case they get this it, get this uh, ability to build capacity. But there's also an opportunity as much as there is a risk in how to build or rebuild the culture of the agency. What do you think are steps one, two, and three to achieving that outcome that you want where you have a cohesive organization two years from now or five years from now, Michelle? Um, the, it's, it's really basic at the start, it's communication. Um, we know that people will <laughs> fill in facts uh, on their own, and they generally won't be the, the most positive ones if they're not routinely and regularly given the information about what's happening within the organization. So it is a constant flow of communication about hiring, about how the organization is likely to change, being honest about even delivering tough information. When you say we want to change the culture or we want to modernize it's essential to communicate and to bring the current employees with you. And it's it's doable. It is not leaving them behind to replace them. It is bringing them with uh, the change. And so the communication being completely transparent about the goals is essential so that people know what you're driving towards. Because in my experience, they will come with you by and large, if you absolutely tell them where you want to go. And then it's discussing the benefits, um, you know, learning new ways of doing business, modernizing a culture makes employees more marketable as well. Come with us to the way that business is, is being done in a more modern, advanced way. And for example, with the IRS, I think most of those employees would very much like to have the resources they need to answer a higher volume of calls. No, no one likes to see low percentages. No one likes to be um, labeled as underperforming or um, not liked. 
uh, not appreciated, not valued. And so when you really talk about upping your performance, um, I think that's a key. Um, you talk about bringing employees along with the change and you said most of them will come with you. Another benefit here potentially is allowing the people who aren't interested to self-select, especially when you have a population, the, the, the demographics of the agency where so many people are eligible to retire. And that's not peculiar, of course, to the IRS. No, and I don't think that has to be discussed in a negative way. Sure. That's when I say when we're being transparent about that, I would guess that there's a number of employees who are staying because they are so dedicated and they know that it's already an understaffed agency unable to meet all their goals and they don't want to leave uh, and go into retirement to enjoy their life because they're so committed to the mission. And there is the opportunity to release that pressure so that enough new employees are being hired and trained that some of those employees that are retirement eligible can 